Hey everybody, Mark P. Fisher here, and welcome to the Inspiring Growth Podcast, where we share stories of struggle that have led to growth. Hey, today's podcast is brought to you by a world-famous seafood restaurant in Northeast Maryland. If you live in Maryland or Pennsylvania, Delaware, you know exactly who I'm talking about. It's Woody's Crab House. By the way, Northeast is a town, not just a direction. It's real close to where we live. Woody's has been voted the best seafood in our area for the past 20 years. And if you're interested in winning a $500 gift certificate for delicious, fresh Woody's seafood, go to their website at woodyscrabhouse.com. That's woodyscrabhouse.com. Oh, by the way, my favorite at Woody's, the Killer Net Buster. Ugh. It has lobster tail, fresh fish, crab cakes, crab imperial, jumbo shrimp, steamed clams and shrimp, snow crab legs, and all the sauces. Listen, maybe we'll see each other soon at Woody's Crab House. By the way, thank you, Brian and Joe and a handful of Inspiring Growth listeners for checking in with me to see, Mark, are you still alive? I know, I know. It's been a while since we dropped a podcast. Yes, the bear has awoken from podcast hibernation. Actually, there's a short reason why we have not published a podcast in a while. My team and I held an inspiring growth strategic summit last fall. Actually, part of it was held at the beautiful headwaters of the Chesapeake Bay of Sandy Cove. And thanks to the persistent help of my executive knower and assistant, Chelsea Claser jones and my friend and brand storyteller with Inspiring Growth, Jenny Majors, They helped me hunker down and focus. Focus on our VIP Inspiring Growth consulting clients who we L-O-V-E. I mean, we love our clients. And what I'm a little nervous but pretty excited to announce later on today's podcast, which is a special 60% discount offer for the first 20 CEOs who take me up on this offer to sign up for the new Inspiring Growth Accelerator program. We'll talk more later in the podcast about that. So. Let's jump into today's podcast with Tom Bond. Tom's story is exactly why we have the podcast. Tom served as the Director of Programs at Helping Up Mission in Baltimore for 15 years. Helping Up Mission is a community of hope and healing and empowerment for those who are struggling with addiction and mental health and homelessness. And really, what they do is they transform lives and help build a greater Baltimore one day at a time and one life at a time. But Tom's story started in a crack house. Let's jump in. In the studios today via Zoom is Tom Bond. Tom, when did you and I meet? It was about how long ago, do you think? Uh, I'm not good with time. What was that, five years ago? I feel like it was five years ago. I was working on a movie project for Paramount Pictures, and uh, it was called Same Kind of Different as Me. Tom, you were the director of programs at Helping Up Mission in Baltimore at the time, right? Correct. Yep. So Tom and I, I was down in Baltimore, and he was giving me the tour, and he was telling me about Helping Up Mission... And I just, I, I, I wanted to hear Tom's backstory. So the reason I've invited him to, for you, my Inspiring Growth listeners, is because his story of struggle has led to amazing growth, and I wanted to be able to share it with you. So Tom, let's back this train up a little bit. 
Okay. The picture that I took of you in the in the where was it? It was like the entryway the of helping up missions. The chapel, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Helping up missions. There is this picture of you. You were uh emaciated, you were completely uh your eyes were uh dead, your spirit was uh captured in what looked like a dead man walking and then i i looked at you and i was like oh my gosh what what is your story so that picture represented you at what period in your life that picture represented me at the at the penultimate lowest point of my life um that was 2002 um, it was a uh, police mugshot, essentially. Uh, the uh, last time, I hope, the last time I ever have a mugshot taken of me. Um, and that's what sent me into uh, jail for the last time, not the first time, for essentially, you know, a good part of the summer of 2002. Um, and when I got released uh, in October uh, of 2002, I. I walked to helping up mission and finally, uh, after years of, um, you know, progressive chronic drug abuse, finally reached out and said, uh, I think I need some help here. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So, uh, drug addiction broke the law, ended up in jail. Yep. Uh, how old were you? I was 37 in that photo. And what kind of home had you come from that? I mean, what what was your life like before all this? Yeah, so I came from a really good home. Uh, born in in uh, Baltimore, was raised in the Towson suburbs until I was ten, and then really my m- more formative years uh, from the age of ten until college uh, in Bel Air, Maryland, which is a really nice suburb of of the Baltimore area. Um, just you know, raised in a you know uh, a great home, loving parents, uh, twin sisters, two years older than me, uh, had all the th- all the things a kid could ever want growing up. Um, went off to college after high school, and after college went into corporate America. What'd you focus on in corporate America? Uh, sales. So I was in sales and marketing, territory sales, account management, and you know, from out outwardly looking in, people would say. I had a fairly enviable life, you know, company car, expense account, travel, and a decent salary, home, all that good stuff. But inside, I felt really unfulfilled and incomplete. Uh, so I was trying to kind of fill that hole, you know, hole in my soul is how I say it. I was trying to fill that hole with, you know, all of the, the, the wrong things. Um, and it wasn't until I got to the mission that I started to fill it with the right things. Do you remember some of the things that were going on in your life when you that triggered you into uh, making decisions about uh, just sort of the downward spiral? Yeah, you know it. It's uh, it, it doesn't doesn't have the same ring that a lot of guys have, where something you know majorly traumatic happened in their lives, either uh, in their early childhood that kind of rears itself and manifests itself later, or or in that period of my life, I did, I did go through a divorce. Um, I guess in retrospect, I didn't think that it impacted me the way it probably did, 
um, because that was probably when things started for me. uh, And that was in 91. Um, So, uh, but it took another 11 years or so before it, you know, before it really came to that place of, you know, complete, completely being, being completely destitute. So were you homeless? I was homeless. Yeah. I, I ended up, uh, living on the streets of East Baltimore, uh, in the projects started out living in a, in a crack house, um, with a bunch of other people. Um, and then eventually, um, there are so many vacant houses in the projects of, uh, of Baltimore, East Baltimore. I just, just moved into one of those. So I just started to live in an abandoned house in the city. And how did you day to day? How did you pay for your life? So day to day, I, I, uh, I ran a little car wash, you know, a little alley car wash out in front of my abandoned house on, on Milton Avenue. Um, I found a couple of cones and found a hose somewhere in the, you know, in the trash and, um, I would hook the hose up to somebody's water. Um, cause I didn't have water, no power, no electric, you know, it's just, uh, you know, a, a vacant house. Um, so I'd steal water from somebody until I got caught and then I just move and steal it from somebody else until I got caught. Yeah. And I'd wash cars out front and, um, that's what I did. And that's how I made the, the little bit of money I made every day to support my drug habit. Hmm. And how did you end up in trouble with the law? Uh, just going to buy drugs and being caught. Mm. Uh, that's it. Just uh, possession, simple possession. Actually, the first time was uh, shoplifting. So I had a shoplifting charge, just uh, stealing some turkey and some, you know, some lunch meat, something to eat. Um, that was my first arrest. And then from then on, it was uh, drug related, you know. What did the police alley. do for shoplifting? Yeah. So, you know, my, the amount that I was stealing and what I was stealing was so insignificant. The, the, the manager of the store said, just show me your ID. We'll ban you from the store and, you know, we'll be done with it. Well, I didn't have an ID because I was living on the streets. And uh, so they said, well, if you don't have an ID, we're going to have to call the police. And hmm. yeah, so they, they came and, and took me away and um, arrested me and they didn't keep me. So they kept me overnight. Um, and then I ended up going to court for it. And I think it got tossed out or something. It wasn't anything. Major. Did you call your parents? Did they know that had happened to you? No, no. Yeah. When did they finally figure out what was going on? Uh, I isolated myself. I, the, the amount of, when it got to that point, especially I was so full of, so full of toxic shame, um, that I was mm. incapable of reaching out to anybody and saying, I, I need some help. So I think it was the Christmas of 2001, um, when I didn't show up, uh, I'd been gone for a couple of years actually. Um, and, uh, I would always show up on Christmas though. That was the thing. You know, I make, make it to Christmas no matter what, you know, partially because I knew I was going to get some gifts. Yeah. Um, if I'm being honest. And so that one year I didn't show up. I know my sister, she tells her own version of the story and would say that, you know, Christmas morning as they all sat around ready to open gifts, they, you know, my dad got on the phone and called the morgue and, um, called, you know, some hospitals and trying to find out if I was, um, you know, if I was one of those John Doe's or if I'd been locked up, but I hadn't been, I was just, 
living in my abandoned house on Christmas Day. Hmm. You used a phrase I'd like you to unpack, if you would. Um, toxic shame. What What is that? Um, you know, I'm not a... Um, I'm not a counselor or a therapist by trade. Um, uh, but yeah, I've me either. That, <laughs> right? I play one on, on the internet, right. but I'm not one really. But I, I've heard that phrase before. Um, and so f- what it means for me is that the shame is so debilitating that you can't make good decisions and you can't do anything to move forward with your life because you're so mm. ashamed of who you've become and who you are that you get to the point where you feel like, I must deserve this. This must be mm. what is meant for me. So I'm just going to go with it because I have mm. no other choice because you get to that point where you're so your hope is completely gone and um, you don't feel like there's any, any pathway out of it. Mm. Well, and shame, shame is a man. You said it led you to isolation. Yeah. Explain that a little bit more. Yeah, so it's it's funny um, when I lived in the projects, you know, there was a so so there's community. So I'm you know maybe we'll yeah, talk some more about this. There's community I'm, everywhere. It's I'm just big on different community, kinds. right? Exactly. Um, so there's community that can help people get better, and then there's community that can keep people down. But within that community of people, I felt at that time like that's where I belonged, mm. and so there was a certain comfort in that that everybody that i was with was you know at my level accepted you right there were other people who were in the same place didn't matter that i was you know a kid from bel-air maryland who went to college um i did everything i could to hide that in fact Mm. i didn't want people to know that yeah so there's this uh i didn't want the worst thing for me at that point in my life would would have been to have run into somebody i know who Mm. was living a normal life and um it would have just devastated me for them to see me mm. in, in the shape that I was in because I was in really bad shape, as you know, from the photo, mm. um, you know, not, not understanding that somebody who really cares, doesn't care about that, that they would probably have just said, let me help you, please. Yeah. What can I do to help you? What I but, felt like is that I would just be judged for being a terrible person. Yeah. And it's so hard when we're in that place to to accept the fact that there are people that would love us regardless of what we've done. Right. I, I've heard it said that um, you know sh- shame puts us in this this bondage of some sort where we do isolate. We we don't want to be around people. Um, but there's a distinction between conviction and condemnation. Conviction says you've done something wrong. Make it right. Repent. Make it better. Condemnation says you are bad. Right. Conviction says you lied. And condemnation says you're a liar. You're no good. Right. How do you move past that I've done something bad to I am a bad person? Yeah. Right. So that's guilt versus shame, Mm. really. So you're guilty of doing something bad. Um of being bad in, in your actions versus, yeah, you are a bad person. Um, yeah. So for me, um, it just took, it just took getting to the end of my rope, um, to the point where I, 
I said, I can't, I can't continue to do this. Um, you know, the, the summer of 2002, I, I actually spent in one of those little six by eight jail cells with, you know, two cots and a, and a toilet, um, barely enough room for one person to, you know, stand up and stretch. And you had to stay in there for 23 hours a day. Hmm. Uh, you ate in there, you slept in there, you, you know, you went to the bathroom in there. The only time you left that was for a one hour a day to, to stretch your legs and take a shower. Were you waiting trial or something? No. Um, you had already, already been convicted? Yeah, I had already been convicted. And the conviction was for? That drug possession. Yeah, okay. Yeah, something silly. Yeah. And, yeah, was in one of the was, was in one of the most dangerous places in Baltimore City, the, you know, the city, the old city jail, which, you know, in, in previous arrests, I'd been sent to, you know, um, just other areas with, with, you know, lower nonviolent offenders. And now here I am in this section with people that, you know, have done, have done, you know, heinous crimes. And I'm thinking, I, I can't, I can't continue to do this. And so it was with inside, but so, so inside the jail was where I learned about helping up mission. So, you know, so as you look back in retrospect, you know, being in that jail at that time was the best thing that ever happened to me in my life. Interesting. And, um, you know, cause without that, I don't, I don't end up at the mission asking for help. I don't end up getting that help. I don't end up working there for the next 16 years and becoming the person I am today. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, I'm big on telling guys when they come into the program and they're at, at their most broken point that at some point, time in the future if they apply themselves that they will look back on this as the most important thing they've ever you know it's a, it's a gift right mm. i say your 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 struggle with substance abuse will end up being a gift to you if mm. you apply yourself to your recovery because it will force you to look inside yourself it will force you to understand who god is it will force you to do all those things that then will will kind of put you into a different place in your mm. in your life in your worldview. Yeah. Hey, as we take a short break from Tom's inspiring story, I'd like you to consider joining me on a new exciting journey to wildly increase your revenues over the next 3 to 6 months. Our team at Inspiring Growth has been quietly working behind the scenes on the new Inspiring Growth Accelerator training program. This first edition, this cohort, is for camp directors. And you may ask, wait, camp directors? Yeah. Hospitality has been in my blood for 25 years. Yes, I've served over 125 different clients and industries over the years. But the first Inspiring Growth Accelerator program is for you as a camp director. I served as vice president for Forest Home Camps and Retreats in Southern California, where we increased revenues by 98%. And then with Sandy Cove in Maryland, most recently, our team increased guest group revenues by $461,000. Another camp by 62%, another 56%. But to be totally transparent with you, the more VIP clients and hands-on relationships I've had with my VIP clients we've taken on, the more I've felt this rising anxiety, this anxiousness in me. And as you've gotten to know me, you know that I've had six surgeries in the past, in part 
I think, from my inability to handle stress and anxiety in leadership. And I don't want to go down that path again. Now, even though I've limited my VIP clients to five at any one time, I feel like this heavy responsibility to produce like stunning results for my clients just weighs on me. And I guess it's my DNA or my Enneagram 3 or my high DI disc or my driver personality. I don't know. But the anxiety is not healthy for me, my family, or my team, or my clients, really. So in 2020, I am limiting my VIP clients to the three that I have now. But that is where the Inspiring Growth Accelerator program comes in for you. Catch this. Starting February 29th. Yep, you can leap forward on Leap Day. If you run a camp, or as I like to say, it runs you, that rents its facility to outside groups, you can become part of the exclusive Inspiring Growth Accelerator online program. I will carefully walk you through the proven three steps to wildly increase your guest group revenues by 23% to 98%. Now, this is going to include private lifetime access to the online course, private Facebook groups with fellow CEOs, and weekly group Q&A sessions with me and my team. Camps, retreats, conference centers have invested, in some cases, between fifty-six dollars and $104,000 for inspiring growth results. And in every case, these clients have increased their revenues, again, like by 23 to 98%. So what does that translate into dollars? Well, one client grew 308000 another 540000 So if you or someone you know would like to be one of the first 20 camp directors to enroll in the Inspiring Growth Accelerator Program and save 60%, here are the two ways to find out more. You can either email me directly at mark at inspiringgrowth.biz. That's mark at inspiringgrowth.biz. Or go to the Inspiring Growth website at inspiringgrowth.biz and fill out the interest form to see if your camp qualifies. That's inspiringgrowth.biz. And I can almost hear some of you wondering, well, what if I don't run a camp? What if I run a small business or a fee-for-service nonprofit? Can I join? My answer to you is not yet. I'm working on that program for you later in the year, but you can certainly send me an email or be placed on our first-to-contact list, again, at mark at inspiringgrowth.biz. So let's jump back in to our inspiring conversation with Tom Bond. So how long were you in the jail before you got out? Yeah, 60 days or something, nothing. And you went straight to helping up mission. Nah, I went back to the bando for about three days. Then I, yeah. Then I had my moment of clarity and walked <laughs> to the mission. Yeah. Literally walked to the mission. Yeah. Literally walked. Yeah. Okay. So let's pause for just a minute and talk about helping up mission. What, what is the purpose of helping up mission? The purpose of the helping up mission is to, I think at the top level is to inspire hope in people is to give people hope and from you know from that mustard seed of hope no matter how bad you are when you walk in there you'll have the opportunity to sit still for a year or longer and to rebuild your life and it's a community of people who are coming together who are all struggling within the context of their lives um, all with similar issues uh, who come together to, to help each other work through it. 
So they're either experiencing homelessness, abuse, addiction, or hunger, right? Yeah, or all of the above, right? Or, or, or yeah, all of the above. Which you know, when you toured me around there, so so okay, so you went into the program. How long were you in the program where you began to actually the hope that seed of hope started turning into healing and empowerment and transformation for you? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I didn't really want to be there, but I didn't want to be back in the abandoned building. Um, so I stuck it out and it was about 90 days in. Um, so I actually remember the day that it really, a switch was flipped for me and it's really silly. There's like three or four of us sitting around and telling stupid jokes and got to laughing. And and then, you know how that is, you start telling little jokes and you Mm. laugh and you're not supposed to laugh. Usually happens at school or church. And then suddenly (laughs) you're laughing uncontrollably and your cheeks hurt, you're crying. And so that happened. And then afterwards I recognized that I hadn't had an experience of that kind of gut level laughter since I was a kid. Mm. Um, so all those years that went by from the age of 15 on, when I started using drugs, where I thought maybe I was having fun, I never felt that good. Mm. Just hanging out with people, clean and sober, telling jokes and laughing hysterically. And I realized then that there was hope and there was Mm. that I, so, cause I went in there thinking I've been using drugs for 21 years. Okay. Ever since I was 15 years old and everything I did, I associated with that, whether mm. it was going to the movies, whether it was going out to eat, whether it was this or that, it was always what, you know, how am I going to get high around that mm. so that I can enjoy it? I thought I needed it to enjoy life. Mm. And then, so I went into treatment thinking, I don't know how I'm going to live my life if I can't have that only to find out I never needed that. Wow. So how long uh, were you in the program there? So the program is one year long. Okay. Um, and so I completed the program and, um, you know, it was different back then. Of course it was, uh, earlier in the missions. Evolution. Um, yeah. Evolution that, uh, has taken place. And so after graduation, they asked me to stick around, um, <laughs> and, and work with them, which again was, that was the you know the defining moment for me hmm. because within the context of the one year right i found what i really liked to do which, which was, was? To, to help people hmm. and so my work therapy assignment which everybody has when you're in the helping up mission program you get assigned something to do you know the guys who are in the program run the facility essentially day to day. Yeah. Um, you know, they're cooking, they're cleaning, they're doing the laundry, they're doing all those things. Uh, so when you're not in classes or, you know, whatever, that's what you do. And my assignment was to work in what's called the learning center. And so I was helping guys learn, study, study for the GED test, things like that, helping guys learn to read. And I was, you know, I felt great. I just, mm. I loved it. So, I mean, I just loved being able to, to help people. And so when I got the opportunity to get paid to help people, <laughs> it seemed almost, you know, otherworldly, right? Because mm. yeah. then suddenly you're being paid for doing what you're, 
what you're passionate about doing. Now, helping up is, uh, right now is a men's serve men primarily, but it's yeah. expanding now to women and children, right? It is. It, it has already expanded to women. Yeah, they have a program on uh, on East Chase Street uh, that has 42 women and and okay. a couple of different programs, and so that's kind of the incubator program. Uh, for the next couple of years as they build the the large facility that they're building. Now, tell my listeners about the chapel. Because when you toured me, you told me a story about the chapel that I just stood there and I c- couldn't say anything. Ooh, you mean, what story are you talking about? Which what, story? What, how was that building used before and how was it transformed? It was almost metaphoric uh, for the lives of the guys. So, so at one point in the existence of the chapel, when construction was being done, guys would sleep on the floor because there was no other place to sleep. Mm-hmm. So when the building was torn down, um, there was kind of an outcry from a bunch of the uh, alumni of the mission who said, you know, you're going to, you're going to destroy the floor of the place that where I found God and the place where my, my life was saved. So, um, so within that, we we saved the wood when we tore up the chapel, the old chapel, and we repurposed some of the wood and the columns back into the new chapel. Yeah. The building next to it, which is where the men sleep and eat, used to be a um, a large wholesale pornography building that didn't sell to us for quite a while. And I think finally uh, they had their moment of clarity and they sold. And that was the last building in that block that, that essentially then gave the mission that whole 1000 block of East Baltimore street. Such, such a powerful story of repurposing buildings and lives at the same time. Yep. Oh, so good. So, so, so good. Well, you were at Helping Up Mission for 15 years. You helped oversee and directed programs within Helping Up Mission. You also served on the board of the Prescription Drug Monitoring Program. What was that? Yeah, so I'm still on that board. So um, I I guess everybody knows at this point that there was a huge problem with uh, uh, an overprescribing of opiate medications that was a big part of the opioid epidemic that we're facing today. So now there are these um, organizations, just about every state has one, um, where it's uh, a panel of people from, you know, all walks, doctors, lawyers, a lot of pharmacists, people from treatment programs that um, are, are working diligently to ensure that we don't go down that path again. So it's mm. prescription drug monitoring program. It is okay. essentially that, yeah. making sure that um, we don't uh, revisit that issue. Yeah. 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 So, um, uh, you know, ha- those who know my story know that I was on pain meds for about nine years because of six surgeries. And, right. uh, when I got off all those pain meds, which was a hellish experience, um, I learned something about opioids, and that is a, a thing called hyperalgesia, um, I, a phrase I'd never heard before, but it basically reduces your tolerance to pain, which requires you to have more pain medicine, which creates this dependence, right. and pretty soon uh, you are stuck. And uh, for me, uh, it you know it was it took me thirty one days. 
I'm so, so grateful uh, for the Ashley Treatment Center down in Havit Grace. It helped me after all my surgeries, get off all my pain meds back, oh, I don't know, three, three or so years ago. And so, I mean, I can relate to your story. I understand your story. I may not have been uh, in a crack house, uh, but I was in my own prison suffering right. in isolation because of my pain. And uh, the path I, the only path I knew was was to, to use meds. And now that I'm off them, I realize, oh, there are so many better, stronger, healthier ways. Um, so yep. I, I am just so grateful that you just found your purpose at helping up by helping other people. And then recently, you had an aha moment. Tell 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 our listeners about that because you've left helping up mission. I did. Um, and I, I guess I thought that I would probably retire at the helping up mission. Um, that was really, you know, kind of in my game plan for many years. Um, but over the course of the last three or four or five years, um, people, I take a lot of people on tours of the facility, just like I took you on a tour Yeah, and people would say invariably would say, we need more places like this. Mm-hmm. We need more places like helping up mission in this state and in this country, places that don't cost anything for guys to come and spend a significant amount of time, a year plus to put their lives back together, to learn, mm-hmm. to get employed, um, to have all the barriers removed, all those things that happen there. Um, and that, that coupled with the fact that uh, over 50% of our clientele at this point are coming from the suburbs, the surrounding counties, just because yeah. the, the word is out that the mission is doing fantastic work. Um, that I said, you know, maybe that's a sign that, that it's time to, to do more. And by doing more, that means leaving the mission and starting a, another program that's going to be very similar to what the mission does and bring it out into the county um, to just just offer more help to more people. Um, and so, so that's, that's called Summit Community Health. You're the CEO, you're the founder. What's the mission of, of Summit Community Health? Yeah, so the, so it's uh, there's Summit Community Health, which, right, I'm the CEO and the, and the co-founder. Um, and then there's uh, Summit Community Foundation, which is the nonprofit that we've founded. So the nonprofit will be the, the, the most forward-facing of the two organizations, and that will be the organization that provides housing and food and social services. And, uh, for 50-plus men, we're still, we're still trying to identify the right facility, um, so to build a community of hope similar to what's happening at the mission. And Summit Community Health will be the healthcare provider that partners with that foundation uh, to provide healthcare services, clinical counseling, medical services, things like that. Um, so it'll be an integrated, comprehensive system of care, um, all done within the you know the context of a large uh, peer-led community. I, I just love your vision of being a community-focused organization, and you know having this team of professionals that live in the long-term recovery but right. utilize community approach to building those relationships, not just a programmatic approach. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's, that's powerful. Yeah. So if my chief clinical officer listens to this, she probably won't like 
me like hearing me say this, but you know, if you're in a place for a year, what 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 struck me when I when I so let me just say it this way: what struck me when I entered the mission was I I thought I was alone in the world with my problems. Hmm. I thought I was the only person in the world who did the stupid stuff that I did, and um, I just felt alone, isolated and alone. And when I got to the mission, I learned that I wasn't alone and I found a place where I belonged. And, you know, so social connectedness, connectedness and belonging, um, helped lead me to find my purpose. Say that again, Tom, say that again. Social connectedness and belonging helped lead me to my purpose. So, so good. Right. So good. So the clinical aspect of treatment is important and I'm not minimizing that. There are things that people have that, you know, trauma and things that have happened that need to be brought to the surface and dealt with. Um, But that ability to, um, to, to find self-worth to understand that you are a good person, that you are loved by God, that, uh, that your past is your past and your future is just right there waiting for you to mm. take over. Mm. Right. So, um, so it's all about community um, to help people find fulfillment in their lives. You know, it's fun for me to, as I listen more of your story, Tom, um, I, I'm, I'm linking back this, the co-founding of this community with that entrepreneurial spirit that you had on the street of, okay, granted, you were stealing yeah. water, but the reality was is you're finding a way. Yeah, you're finding a way in a very small fashion just to support yourself. Yep, and now you're finding a way to help others who have gone through the same journey and struggle that you've gone through. I applaud you for that, and I think that's the kind of inspiring growth that we all need to hear about. What what does the summit need now? What what what's What's your immediate needs and what's your long-term vision? So immediate needs, uh, we we got some strong initial investment to get us going and get us building uh, the the um, the organization. We still we still need some more money before we're going to be able to uh, go live and do the things we want to do. Um, and we are still searching for a location. We think we may have found one in the county, out in Carroll County. We're going to be looking at it on Monday. Okay. Uh, but um, and then once we identify that, then we're going to need all the things that that any mission would need. You know, toiletries and clothes and things of that nature. And we we'll want to start building up that stockpile so the day that we open, we'll be able to provide the level of care to to guys that we need to. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah. So if people want to get a hold of you, I know you have a Facebook page, summit community health on Facebook. Have you built your website yet? We are in process. Okay. So if they want to connect with you, they can go to summit community health on Facebook and begin to follow Tom's journey as well as those that he's going to walk with, uh, in community, uh, to share his life. Uh, and uh, and good mental health practices, clinical practices, faith practices, things that lift us out of isolation and a sense of shame. Yeah. So 
I want to say one thing. So what, one of the things I found along the way is telling, telling the story of, of hope uh, is important for other people. Mm-hmm. So, and, and we've told the stories of the people that are involved with, with summit on Facebook and on LinkedIn. Um, so I would say if there are people out there who have an inspiring story, um, who've gone through, uh, hard times and, um, have, uh, you know, have persevered, would love to hear it. And if it's, uh, if they'd like, we, we, we'd like to start posting stories of, of good feeling stories of people who've overcome. So, mm, um, nice. you know, send me a private message and let me know what your story is. And I, if, if you, if it, if it's, if it rings true to our mission and you would like us to, we would, we would love to start sharing some of these great stories. Very cool. Well, I was drawn to the picture of a bunch of guys out on a cliff. Uh, and it said seven years ago on September 27th, I walked through the doors of helping up mission. This is written by Matt Brown, right? That's my With less than, than I'm carrying in my pack today. I was beaten and broken today. My life is far from that and filled with blessings. I'm a person living in long-term recovery, and there is a new way to live. Matt says, if I can do it, anyone can. I found my deal in the mountains and now have the opportunity to share it with others. Find your deal, get weird, be you, and keep it moving. That's Matt. (laughs) (laughs) That's so good. Well, you know, and, and the thing is, is... What what inspired me to even reach out to you is because you know you and I are Facebook friends, and although we don't hang out in real time, we get glimpses of each other's lives. And along the way, several things happened to you. I think you told me you didn't ever think it would happen. Yep. You got married again. Yep. You have a child now. Just turned two yesterday. What's your child's name? Michaela. What do you like about Michaela? Well, Michaela in Hebrew means God's gift. Um, mm. We we tried for a long time, and you know, almost you know, almost ten years it took. Um, so she's certainly a gift. Um, well, you have children, so you know it. It completely changes your worldview. Um, yeah. And um, everything I do now is is done with her in mind. Um, and um, you know, and I'll tell you from from a working standpoint, for years. Uh, Mark, I've told people, parents who've called and said, my son, my daughter, this or that, and I've given advice that is appropriate advice. But I would say, I'm sure this is going to be painful, but you need to let them go. You need to do this. You need to do that. When I've talked to parents <laughs> now, having a child, I, I actually start to cry when I because mm. the, the pain that, you know, I can empathize so deeply now uh, before I could only really sympathize because I didn't have mm-hmm. kids. I didn't mm-hmm. have a child. And now it's like, I think, oh my God, if my kid was, was in pain that I get it, I would do anything in the world to, mm. to make that pain go away. And your wife's name? Rebecca. Rebecca. Yeah. Well, I thank Rebecca for sharing you today with me and our audience. And I'm grateful that you've been able to um, just be real with us and yep. share a bit of your struggle. Anything else you'd like to add? Vulnerability is, is one of the keys to uh, transformation. You have to be, you have to allow yourself to be vulnerable and it's one of our core values. Yeah, but it's really hard. It is, but anything worthwhile is anything really worthwhile is hard. What does vulnerability look like to you? 
it's the it's allowing yourself to it's a it's a it's how do i say it so you you have to allow yourself to to be open to others about all the things that um that aren't pretty yeah that aren't pretty um so you know people put walls up and they put up facades saying i'm fine i'm okay i'm okay mm-hmm. we're really inside they're not mm-hmm. so being vulnerable is allowing you is allowing yourself to share with other people that you're really not okay yeah you don't really have the answers you don't really know what to do and you're able to ask for help yeah yeah yeah, you know, um, before Me Too was um, uh, co-opted for its purpose now, right? I used to oversee a family camp on the headwaters of the Chesapeake Bay called Sandy Cove. And I, 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 as all these strangers would come together for five days with their families, they would interact with other strangers. And because um, uh, the mission of Sandy Cove was to help people both connect with God and each other, um, I found as I sat with guests that were struggling and I would I would ask questions about where they're at and what's going on, um, I found myself saying these two powerful words of vulnerability that actually connected me with people. Someone would say, hey, I'm really struggling in my marriage. And I would say, me too. Yeah. It's it's like the entrance to vulnerability. It's the it's the permission to say, "Oh, that's so hard. I'll pray for you or whatever." Right. To rather enter in together and say, "Me too. I'm I'm struggling." Uh, and and don't you find that to be the place of, of the kind of the birthplace? I think Brene Brown says vulnerability is the birthplace of connection. Yeah, it is. Um... It's um, and Brene is uh, was one of my favorite. I've read all of her stuff. Yeah, watched stuff. all of her podcasts. I mean, her, mm-hmm. her TED talks and um, yeah. And it's you can't you can't have wholesome, really uh, powerful community without vulnerability. Um, and so it it you know you bring all these people together and um, encourage them to allow themselves to be vulnerable to each other. And what what comes out of it is just this this incredible there's empowerment. Yeah, they become empowered uh, to take over their uh, their recovery and their lives. Well, let's let's tag Brene Brown because she's influenced me. It sounds like like she's influenced you, folks. If you have not watched Brene Brown's two TED talks, one is called "Listening to Shame." You can hear that at TED T E D dot com. Listening to Shame with Brene Brown, and the second one. I love how she described after she did the first one, she says she had a vulnerability hangover. She was like, <laughs> I can't believe I just told the world my crap. But then her next TED talk is called The Power of Vulnerability, also on TED.com. So, folks, if you're interested in in, in diving into vulnerability, that's a good place to start, wouldn't you say? Yep. Vulnerability equals courage, right? Yeah, it's just hard. That's all. Yeah. I'd rather just say, fine, good, I'm good, I'm good. Everything's great. Uh, All right, Tom, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for inviting me. Hey, folks, thanks for joining me for another inspiring story of struggle. 
that's led to growth. Just as a reminder, if you or someone you know would like to be one of the first 20 camp directors to enroll in the new Inspiring Growth Accelerator program and save 60%, here are the two ways to find out more. Either email me directly at mark at inspiringgrowth.biz or go to our website inspiringgrowth.biz and fill out the interest form to see if your camp qualifies. Hey, thanks to Dylan Garvin with Studio D Production for editing today's podcast. And thanks to the world-famous Woody's Crab House for sponsoring today's podcast. Remember, you could be eligible to win $500 of delicious fresh seafood by going to woodyscrabhouse.com and becoming a VIP member. Hey, if you like the podcast... Would you take a moment and subscribe or like or share and rate Inspiring Growth? I'm super grateful for the five-star rating on iTunes from over 200 folks just like you. And finally, friend, if you want to grow, really grow in your connection with others, remember, be kind, be fully present, and ask good questions.